church, our Lord said, Why are you persecuting me? So Christ is still on the cross. Behold, I stand at the door of God. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. You're listening to Behold the Man with your host, Joe McLean. I never know when I'm gonna find you next. In the tears of the laughter, I can hear you speak to me. You're everywhere, even in the air I breathe. And your love goes on. Your love makes me strong. Buenos dias, que tal? Welcome back to Behold the Man. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's great to be back with you again this week. That single is Meet Me Where I Am from the album Meet Me Where I Am by Noel Garcia. You can find more information about her, a link to her website, on my site at www.catholichack.com. Well, this week we dive deep into Jesus Christ being a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. We're continuing our discussion on A Father Who Keeps His Promises by Dr. Scott Hahn. We're still in chapter 5, looking at the life of Abraham. And as I said last week, I wanted to focus a little more intensely upon a couple of the episodes of the life of this man of faith, Abraham, the father of faith, the patriarch of us all, right? Well, today we're going to look at an episode found in Genesis chapter 14, where Abram meets this mysterious figure, this king of Salem. And so we're going to dive deep on that. But before we do, let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. All power and glory and honor be to you, Almighty God, Father of us all. We come before you to praise you, to glorify your name, to learn your truth. We beg you to send forth your Holy Spirit to open our hearts and minds that we might receive the fulfillment of your revelation, greater knowledge of your life, of our history, of what you intend to communicate. And so we put ourselves at your feet and throw ourselves at your mercy. We pray especially for all those who serve in the one priesthood of Jesus Christ, the Pope, 
the bishops, the priests. May you give them grace and mercy that they might serve you faithfully every day. And for all those who have failed, we pray that you will give them the grace of reconciliation that they might repent and be reconciled. We pray for the conversion of sinners and for the unification of all those who profess Christ Jesus into the one body, the church of the Lamb of God, the ecclesia. May God have mercy on us all. We pray for the intercession of our dear lady. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Well, let's get busy. We have got a lot of material to cover in a a short amount of time to do it in. Looking at chapter 5, page 99 of A Father Who Keeps His Promises, Dr. Hahn says, quote, Having conquered the conquerors and taken possession of all this booty, Abram's supremacy should have been unquestioned. He could have returned to Mamir and commanded the other kings to bow down to him, not Abram. Upon his return from battle, he met a mysterious figure, a priest called Melchizedek. His name means King of Righteousness. And he was King of Salem, a city that later became known as Jerusalem. Abram paid homage to Melchizedek by giving him a tithe, a tenth of everything. Melchizedek in turn offered bread and wine to Abram and his men, after which he blessed them. Clearly, there was something profoundly symbolic going on here. Unquote. Well, you got that right. There is, and I can't wait to dive into it today, because there is so much meat in this one episode that it just excites me to talk about. It's one of my favorite types or prototypes from the Old Testament, this mysterious figure of Melchizedek. Again, we find this in Genesis chapter 14, uh, you know, roughly verses 16 through 20. And we'll look at it and we'll sort of summarize as Dr. Hahn did a little bit. But it says, quote, in verse 16, Then he brought back all the goods and also brought back his kinsmen Lot with his goods and the women and the people. Now, okay, just remember to recap quickly from last week. As we recall, there was an uprising of these kings. They're battling against one another in this valley. And Lot, who was staying in Sodom, got caught up in all this. And Sodom got ransacked. And and Lot was carried away with all of his people and all of his possessions. Well, somebody escaped from that and came and found Abram and, and told him about it. Now, Abram had a choice. Okay, Don't forget that Lot pretty much stiff-armed Abram, his own kinsman, you know, taking the choicest of the land, leaving Abram with more desolate landscape to, you know, try to feed and, and, and provide for his people. But he doesn't hold any resentment. He doesn't harbor any anger against his own kinsman. Because at this first sign of trouble, Lot rises up quickly, gathers 318 men on horses, and runs off and rescues Lot. He, ran, he, he ransacks the ransackers, you know? He takes down these powerful kings with only 318 men, brings back all the bounty that was taken, including Lot and all of his people and all of his possessions. That's where we see, starting in verse 18, where actually started backing up to verse 17 here, where he goes to this valley of the kings. And then in verse 18, it says, quote, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, maker of heaven and earth. 
And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Unquote. And that's it. That's all we get in this episode of this person, Melchizedek. Who is this person? Okay. Where does he come from? There are no uh, genealogies in the book of Genesis that tell us where this man comes from, which is quite interesting. There are some commentaries that we can turn to to give us a little bit of insight into who this person was and, and what is his significance as an Old Testament prototype. One of the first stops we make is with the Targum, Targum ben Jonathan. Now, the Targums is, if you've listened to the show at all, you've heard this before. The Targums were like a, a rolling commentary, a a, a, a um, an oral uh, oral translation, an oral tradition of the of the Old Testament text. You see, at the time of Christ, most Jews did not speak Hebrew. They spoke Aramaic in Palestine. Yet, when they were in synagogue and they heard the, the Torah being read to them, the person reading it would have read in Hebrew. There would have been an interpreter there, okay, who would have interpreted into the Aramaic. Well, as they interpreted it, they often added commentary to it as they went. Well, over time, the rabbis wrote these commentaries down, these, these oral translations slash commentaries down. They're called the Targums. Okay, there's a link to it on, my, on the links page on my website at catholichack.com. But when I looked up the Targum for this particular passage, it said, quote, And Malka who was Shem bar Noah, the king of Jerusalem, came forth to meet Abram and brought forth to him bread and wine. And in that time he ministered before Eloah Elaha. Now, I know I did not pronounce half of that correctly, but that is not the point, is it? What's interesting here is that Melchizedek is described as Shem bar Noah. Now, this is very fascinating because Shem is the son of Noah. Now, if you remember uh, several, a couple of months ago now, we when we talked about Noah, Noah had sons, right? And as he comes off the ark, there was a sort of a, a new creation event going on. And Noah is the new Adam. And then, like Cain, who who uh, who also fell from grace, who killed his own brother, who was sought selfishly, seeking out his own name through his son and, and brought about Eve, this evil line, we see in Noah, Noah's son Ham, doing the same thing against his brother, Ham's brother, Shem. Now, Shem means literally name. Now, we know that through the line of Shem, the name, the Shem of God was sought. Through the line of Ham, their own name is sought. You know, through the line of Ham, we see the Tower of Babel, and they say, let us go and make a name for ourselves, versus the line of Shem, who seeks the name of the Most High God. Well, that's what comes to mind when I read this, that Melchizedek, who was Shem bar Noah, Shem, who was Shem of Noah, he was his son, uh, the son of Noah. That is very fascinating material to me, for it gives us a unique insight into this mysterious figure that goes back to the line of Noah, which goes back to Adam, the first man, the first priest. If you remember early on in this study, that we show that we show how. Uh, Adam himself is set up to be a priest, a high priest serving in the sanctuary of the cosmic temple. Okay, and so this Melchizedek is is linked to that 
in the Targums. Now, for further commentary, we we look at Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 6 and 7, but we're going to focus on chapter 7, because here we see a, a really good commentary that's linking it now to Christ Jesus, our Lord. Starting in verse 1, it says, quote, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth, a part of everything, a tenth, a part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. Now already, in just these three verses, or two verses rather, we see already these these illusions already to our Lord Jesus Christ, okay? Because king of Salem, king of peace, our Lord is both of those. He is now the king of the new Jerusalem. He is the, the prince of peace. In verse 3 it says, He is without father and mother or genealogy and has neither beginning of days nor end of life. But resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Now, this is about Melchizedek, not about Jesus. They're saying it's Melchizedek who does not have any genealogy, and how that is very significant, because we see in Genesis how important the genealogies really are. They set the stage for all the major characters, the flow of the, of the storyline, if you will. But nowhere mentioned is Melchizedek. Nowhere do we find out where he's from. You know, we looked at the Targum, yes, but in the in the text that we find in our in our Bibles, it doesn't exist that way. Okay? And so the the writer of Hebrews here is telling us that that's very significant because it gives him no beginning and no end. He is a prototype for Jesus Christ our Lord, who is the true high priest, right? Our Lord who has no beginning and no end, okay? So that's very fascinating, and I, I love how that's brought out there in Hebrews chapter three, uh, chapter 7, verse 3, rather. In verse 4, it says, See how great he is. Abraham, the patriarch, gave him a tithe of the spoils, and those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brethren, though these also are descended from Abram. But this man who is not their genealogy received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior." Now, what's interesting here in these few verses is how we're already seeing the stage being set, comparing and contrasting the priesthood of the Le the Levites and the priesthood of Melchizedek. Now, we haven't gotten there yet, but what we're going to see when we get to to Mount Sinai in the in the this journey of salvation history is how the priesthood is taken away from the firstborn of every household and given to the levites because it was the pe it was those people who who defended god rose their swords and and slaughtered 3000 that day you know in defense of god because they worshiped the golden calf and so god took away the priesthood from the firstborn and gave it to the levites and they had no share in the promised land every other tribe in the promised land was given a portion of the land not the levites for them their share was in God himself, was in the ministering, the ministering at the altar. That was their share. 
And that is an Old Testament prototype that will be perfected in the New Testament, the new priesthood set up by Christ Jesus himself as the high priest, allowing the apostles to share in his portion, to share in his own priesthood. But we'll get there. But I think that's interesting is in these verses, we're seeing the comparison and contrasting of this through the tithe. Abraham gave gave a tithe to Melchizedek, making Melchizedek superior to Abraham. The Levites were descendants from Abraham. Therefore, by default, they too are inferior to Melchizedek. So it's like it's like the old math uh, formula. If A equals B and B equals C, then A is equal to C. Remember that? Well, kind of the same thing going on here. If Abraham is inferior to Melchizedek and the Levites come from Abraham, then the Levites are also inferior to Melchizedek, and therefore the priesthood of the Levites is inferior to the priesthood of Melchizedek. Hope that wasn't too confusing. But that's really what's going on here. Now let's take back up again in verse 11. Quote, Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron. For for when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. I love that too. The the writer of Hebrews is, is basically making this point very clear here. He's saying the Levitical priesthood, that's where we receive the law, but yet they were not able to attain perfection, okay? They could not bring about bring about the satisfaction of sacrifice through their daily offering of animal sacrifice. And what's interesting is the comparison contrasting is if we're going to get a brand new high priest, isn't it interesting that it comes from the order of Melchizedek and not from the order of Aaron? Because Aaron and his sons were given this ministry. Remember, Moses took and washed Aaron and his sons, ordaining them as priests and vesting them by according to the dictates of God Most High to Moses. And so, again, we see the superiority of the priesthood of Melchizedek over the priesthood of the Levites and how our Lord is the perfection of Melchizedek, not the perfection of the, Le- the Levites, because our Lord lives forever. He is not dead. The Levite, the Levitical priest died at one point. The Levitical priest had to offer a sacrifice for their own sins before they could offer any sacrifice for someone else's sins. Our Lord Jesus Christ, although he did die, rose from the grave and then ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God and sits before the, the face of the Father for all eternity as a lamb standing as though slain. His sacrifice is perpetually present. It is the one sacrifice that is always present before God, reminding and making present Calvary, the covenant, the new covenant, okay? The blood and body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Revelations 5 is where you see that. Okay, so that's where it gets very interesting. And again, bringing this in, it says, quote, in verse 13, For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. 
This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not according to legal requirements concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That's verse 17. So we see, again, that our Lord is more like Melchizedek than he is like the Levites, because the Levites were human, frail people who had to offer sins for themselves first, but then again they died. Our Lord is perfection. He is the second person of the Blessed Trinity. He knows no sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us all, right? Okay, and he is alive today, and he is perpetually offering his one sacrifice of Calvary forever before the very altar of the Almighty in heaven. That is a perfection, a fulfillment of the Old Testament type of Melchizedek. Now, a couple of uh, interesting points I want to make here. Jesus was taking away the priesthood from the Levites. Specifically, we see this in Matthew chapter 21, where he's speaking to the chief priests and the scribes and the elders there. Okay, And he gives them, he gives them this parable of the wine press, this person who sets up a wine press, and, and, and he lends it out to tenants, and they, and they abuse him. And they eventually, they kill the son. They see him coming. They say, oh, let's, let's kill this, this son and let's rob the inheritance for ourselves." And what they do is they, they take him out of the vineyard and they kill him. This is a direct analogy of the sacrifice of himself. He is foreshadowing his own death in this parable, speaking directly to the chief priests, talking about their priesthood, talking about their authority. For they sat on the cathedros, the chair of Moses, as Matthew's gospel makes explicitly clear. They had authority, and he was taking it from them, and he would give it to another. Matthew chapter 21, you need to read that. You'll see it quite clearly. Now, we also see that Jesus was setting himself up as the true high priest and giving a share of his priesthood to the apostles. Now, we we know it's explicit that Jesus is the high priest, but one of the more fascinating tidbits was that our Lord wore a seamless tunic to the cross. We we see that in John's gospel. Now, the seamless tunic is important because that's what the high priest wore under his vestments, according to the Levitical uh, requirement that Aaron had to wear a seamless tunic, and so all the high priests did. So our Lord is seen at Calvary with this seamless tunic. He is both high priest and victim. He's offering himself as he enters into the sanctuary of heaven, the temple in heaven. But we see that our Lord is giving this priesthood a share of his own priesthood to his apostles. Now, to be sure, there is only one priesthood. The church does not teach that there are many priesthoods. There's not the pope and the bishops and every single individual priest. No, technically there is only one priesthood, and each of them share in that priesthood, which is the priesthood of Jesus Christ. Now, for that, we've, we've talked about this on past episodes, specifically when we looked at the upper room uh, just before Easter. Uh, we looked at the washing of the feet in John chapter 13, verses 5 through 20. Our Lord 
fills a basin full of water and wraps himself in a in a in a towel and begins to wash the feet of his apostles. Now, traditionally, we read this as being like the dirtiest part of the body, and Jesus is is cleansing them, and that is true. Okay, not to detract from that because that is true on one level. However, looking at this from a deeper level, in the Greek here, there's a play going on. Jesus is speaking about his priestly uh, ministry. He says to Peter, because Peter says, oh, no, you're not going to wash my feet. And and Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you will have no share in me. He spe- he speak- he's speaking specifically of his priestly ministry, saying, Peter, you must have a share in me, in my ministry. You will share in my ministry, just as the Levitical priest shared in the priesthood of Aaron, the high priest. So in the new in the new covenant, in the perfection of the old, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the high priest, has ministers to share in his priesthood. And we see Jesus talking about this and referring to this in John chapter 13 with St. Peter, because he washes them. And, P- and Peter understands that that's what's being said, because not just my feet, but my heads and my hands too, right? Well, what is he talking about? That's a reference to Moses having to wash Aaron and his sons, as the uh, the book of Le- Leviticus points out, is the dictates of our Lord commanding Moses to wash Aaron and his sons, anointing them and ordaining them as priests to serve in the tabernacle. So this is a direct reference, an allusion, if you will, to the Old Testament priesthood coming to its perfection in the new. Now, Father William Most, who has passed away, uh, has several uh, commentaries on uh, the book of Genesis. Actually, one commentary, but several works, all online at catholicculture.org. That's what I wanted to say anyway. And uh, and he, he points out a couple of things that I wanted to bring out. Number one, he says... The foreshad- this that this foreshadows the Son of God is priest forever. Melchizedek, his not having a genealogy is a direct foreshadowing of that. He also says his name is taken to mean either King of Peace or King of Righteousness, as we said before that those both apply to our Lord specifically. He also says that uh, Levi, who was to come to Abraham, was still in the body of Abraham. And we can say that Levi, too, paid tithes to Melchizedek. And so the Levitical priesthood is less than that of the Melchizedek. And we've, we've mentioned that, but it becomes just very explicit here. Now, we look at Psalm 110, and we see this also this drawing in of this eschatology of our Lord being a perfected um, type of the Old Testament prototype of Melchizedek. Read Psalm 110. You will see that David says, quote, uh, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool. We've, we've mentioned this verse before, but it goes on to link uh, the fact that the Messiah, the anointed one, is going to be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And he sits at the right hand of the Almighty on his throne, judging creation. We, we've talked about that a little bit on the show, plenty of times, especially at the Ascension. This wraps up Ascension and Hebrew 7 all together. It's an Old Testament verse that brings it to life. It's wonderful. Now, the Catechism of the Catholic Church in paragraph 1544 says, quote, Everything that the priesthood of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant rather, prefigured, finds its fulfillment in Christ Jesus, the one mediator between God and men. The Christian tradition considers Melchizedek priest of God Most High 
as a prefiguration of the priesthood of Christ, the unique high priest after the order of Melchizedek, holy, blameless, unstained, by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified, that is, by the unique sacrifice of the cross. Now, what's the point? Who is Melchizedek? He is king of Salem, one day to be called Jerusalem. He is priest of God Most High, Shem Bar Noah. As we talked about Shem linking us all the way back to Adam. Melchizedek brought out bread and wine to offer as sacrifice. And then, after the sacrifice of bread and wine, he blesses Abram and all of his men. Now, comparing uh, Jesus to Melchizedek, who is Jesus? Jesus is not only just king of Jerusalem, he's king of the new Jerusalem. He, yes, he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey like, like Solomon did, put upon his donkey by a priest. So Jesus was placed on that donkey by Peter, a priest, another priest reference there, riding into Jerusalem in, in victory, right? Well, he is king of that new Jerusalem, which we read about in, in Genesis, uh, Revelation rather, Revelation 21, for instance. In his ascension, he is, a, he is seated at the throne, the right hand of the Most High, to sit in judgment, as Psalm 110 points out. Jesus is the priest of God Most High, the Lamb standing as though slain at the altar in heaven, Revelation 5, 6. But unlike the Levitical priest, Jesus' sacrifice is good for eternity because Jesus still lives and it's this one sacrifice. Jesus, too, is from the line of Shem, going back to Adam. But unlike Melchizedek, who only gave bread and wine, our Lord gives his body, his blood, his soul and divinity, true manna come down from heaven, given for us for the life of the world. That's St. John chapter 6. And that's the last, uh, last Supper discourse. Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek forever. He is the perfection of this Old Testament prototype. Well, until next time, may God richly bless you. From the Catholic Underground. Please